0: Well, let's go ahead and get started today. Continuing our discussion, and uh, we're going to be doing a lot of scripture lookups today. So you better get your Bible out. So we'll start going through some passages. So um, that's where we go. Father, thanks so much for a gorgeous day out and for bringing us safely to your house to study your Word. I pray that you would give us sharp minds, help us to understand what it is you would tell us, and Just thank you for this day in Christ's name. Amen. Um, We're working our way, of course, across this great topic of predestination and election. We've had some good discussion here and we'll probably have some more before the day is out. That's all right. Um, But I'm going to pick up where we sort of left off. Last week we quickly went through the teachings of Jesus in John chapter 6. Where Jesus basically gives both sides of the equation. Number one, there are this group that the Father has given him before time began. Those he's going to save. On the other hand, there is the group that sees the Son and believes. He's going to raise them up at the last day. And the conclusion is, all that the Father has given Christ in, in eternity past are going to believe in, in time. And God's going to do that not by overriding their will. Not by dragging them into the kingdom of heaven. Not by making them become a believer but because they want to he's going to draw them to him. In fact Christ says no one can come to the father and or come to me unless the father draws him. Um, How many people in here are Christians? How many people in here wanted to be a Christian? Ultimately when, when it came time for you to respond how many of you wanted to believe? All right see nobody in here was made to believe outside of your will right everybody wanted to do that that's part of the mystery here and you're going to have to just go with that Um, did God choose you in eternity past yes he did but in time you chose him and you wanted to it wasn't because you were forced to you wanted to God drew you to himself and that's part of the divine mystery that only God's mind can understand and sort out but we can uh, sort of ponder that a little bit and that's what we're going to do as we look through here and just to pick up where Jesus, just to, to pick up this last slide and then segue into what we're going to talk about today. what is what, in, in Christ's teaching on this subject, what do we find out? Well, number one, all the elect will come to salvation. There's not going to be anybody that God chose that will not believe. Everybody that the Father chose in eternity past at some point in time will come to the Father. Will come to not the Father, but to Christ. They will believe. Um, nobody's going to be left out. <coughs> no one's gonna to get to heaven by not believing that's another thing um, you're not gonna have somebody wind up in heaven and God say well you lucked out you want the elect you're here and have that person say well who are you and who is Jesus that's not gonna happen um, all that the Father has chosen in time past will come to Christ and will understand who Christ is all of the elect will believe on the Son no one will get to heaven by not going that path alright the Father draws the blind, blind unbeliever to himself. There's a drawing, there's a wing of the Father. How many of you were drawn to, the, to Christ? All of us were. I was. We all have a different story. We all have a different path. Um, we all have a different background, but we were all drawn to the Father at some point, or to Christ at some point. The gospel drew us. There was something that drew us to Him. God the Father grants the ability to see and believe on the Son. Why is that? Well, our fallenness makes us insensitive to the truth of the Word of God. We might understand some bits and pieces, but the light will not go on until God the Father does something. How many of you had the light bulb go on? It just went on. One day, all of a sudden, it's like, I got it. I get it. You know, Eureka, I found it. I see it. Um, That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not your great intellect at work. That's the work of the Holy Spirit that gives you sight. Thus, here's the point. The entire salvation process is started and finished by God. We don't like that, but that's what we see here. Now, when we look at this, and you've got to understand, this week I was struggling all the way through, because I'm writing this material as we're going along. You see, I don't have it all written. I'm writing it as we go along. You're the guinea pigs on this stuff. Um, and really, the as I as I thought back over our discussion last week, and the question came. Really, this is the question we've been arguing about: whose choice is it ultimately? Where's the choice lie? Um, did God choose me because He knew if I was given the opportunity, I would choose Him? Um, that's that's a a lot of people believe that. By the way, you're not a heretic if you believe that. I, I don't think you can support that biblically, but you're not a heretic. Okay. <laughs> Sammy, you're not a heretic. Okay. All right. I'm being a good girl. No. And uh, this is really where the debate occurs. This thing here. This is, this is where the debate occurs. Because there's a lot of people that said, well, I, I, I don't like the idea that God would just arbitrarily choose whom he would save. I don't like that idea. So there's got to be some, something in there that um, puts some, some responsibility on man, some responsibility on me. And the answer, of course, to that is, well, God knew that if he, he gave me an opportunity to believe, or the believers, those who believe, if he gave them an opportunity to believe, they would respond. And on the basis of that, then God would be able to choose them. And what that does is it puts the the initiator of sal, not the initiator, but it puts the responsibility of my salvation on me, ultimately, right? God chose me because he knew I would choose him, therefore Who is sovereign in the salvation process? I am. Because God's choice is based on what I would do. You follow? You follow? If God's choice is based on what I would do, then I am the one who's making the decision on this. And God just happened to know, because He's omniscient, He knows everything. He knew what I would do. Yeah. Yeah, because we are seeing things from the time perspective, all right, and, and, and that's, that's, the, that's really where, where we have to sort it out, we've got our perspective in time bounded by the box of our existence, then there's God who is outside this box of existence that sees things from a totally different perspective. does not you're right? You're right. Could you repeat it? it's hard to hear you. Yeah, he says when it when we look at our salvation, it appears as though it wasn't a decision made by God, it was my decision, and there's there's truth to that, when you, right? I mean, I you're, um, Absolutely, yeah, you need to step that
1: direction.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: feels like a decision of her making, but if we follow this logic, it really isn't.
0: Yes. It isn't in a sense that why is it that you believed and somebody next to you didn't? We'll sort this out. Why do you follow God's conviction? Because God grants you repentance. and also he grants you the faith to believe what 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 i got tons of scripture we're gonna go through all right i'm not making this up we're going to start hitting these scriptures okay isn't part of the
2: reason we feel like it's our decision because our perspective at that point isn't so much focused on the sovereignty as it
0: is on our choice Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we are. Yeah, we see our side. We see our side. So, so let's 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 look at. We'll sort this out as we get into some scriptures here. Believe me. So, how do you answer this? How do you answer is it God's choice or is it my choice? Well, I believe the way to answer this is as follows. Look at the passages. Go back to scripture. Right? That sounds simplistic, but. Really, how do you how do you answer any of these questions? You have to go back to the scripture and see. Well, what does the Bible say on this? Is there what evidence do I have on this thing? And this is what I would just just before I continue with my thought here. Let me let me tell you that from my own um, odyssey in this particular quest in this particular doctrine, I started out exactly where Sammy was. I argued with is. with uh, Sammy is. Yes, right. I'm being I'm being optimistic yeah. all
2: right
0: I started out exactly where Sammy is right now I remember arguing with uh, Dave neighbor on this back 20 years ago um, he had a class and we this topic came up and I argued with him and I I was exactly where Sammy is and then something happened in the 20 years since then the more I studied the scripture the more I got into the Bible the more I the more I understood the New Testament I was dragged almost to the position I'm at now. And for those
2: who weren't here last week, where Sammy is, is I believe that because Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 1, and because we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, I believe that The only way, not, okay. I believe that prior to the beginning of time, since Christ is in eternity, God's in eternity, Holy Spirit's in eternity, nothing's past, present, and future, he knew that at age 11, in my case, I was going to accept the Lord as Savior. Therefore, because he knew that I was going to follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit and accept him as Savior, that he was able to therefore include me in the elect. And as far as sovereignty goes, I certainly, absolutely believe in God's sovereignty. That's what partly it goes into being God. But at the same time, I believe that we are not puppets. We have choice and... I chose, therefore, because I chose. He And I don't see that as saying, well, therefore, I was sovereign in my salvation. I think there's a separation between sovereignty on the one hand, which he is, and I will never be. Uh, and on the other hand, there are some things that is left to, uh, up to us to choose, and otherwise, Otherwise, the misinterpretation that some people have about predestination, meaning God is picking and choosing and playing favorites, would be true. But it's not true. He's not picking and choosing and playing favorites. He's receiving all. For God so loved the world, it is not his will that any should perish. Seeking, uh, I, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Mm-hmm. Upon him. So I believe that it's not his will for any to perish but for all to come to repentance that's why it's right now hard for me to get out of this thinking but i'm listening and as you all know i love learning so this is a healthy debate because it all comes down to we're all saved yeah it's just
0: that we're not arguing that and 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 by the way this is this is this is one of those topics where it it's hard to sort through it um but I think as you look at scriptures, you're going to find some interesting things. And, and again, one of, the, one of the big things I always say when I'm looking at this topic is you've got to make all the verses fit. That's
2: right.
0: Um, you can't pick and choose the verses you like and leave the rest of them alone. All of them need to fit together. Exactly. And in some cases, they don't exactly fit in our own mind because we're finite, we're fallen, we're not going to figure this out anyways. It's, so like what God told Habakkuk when Habakkuk was questioning what God was doing, and God said, well, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. He said, well, tell me. And God told him, he says, I don't believe that. You know, um, there's, there's something about God's ways being higher than our ways. But I think it's something that we need to discuss because it's all throughout the Bible. One of the things I found about this particular doctrine is no matter where you dig in the New Testament, you pick any chapter in the New Testament, you go back four or ahead of four chapters, and you're going to hit this. This is all over the place. You cannot skirt it. You cannot walk around it. It's there. It needs to be dealt with. All right? And when you look at the passages, and that's that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some passages here. In every passage that deals with this topic of election, election is always seen as a sovereign act of God done for his own purposes. And never in response to or anticipation of anything man would do. When you look at the passages... All right? There is no hint in any of these passages, in any passage, that God's choice in salvation, in election, understand what we're talking about? We're talking about this election. There's no hint in any of these passages on election that God chose based on something that he knew in his omniscience I would do or that mankind would do. It's always seen as a free act of God done for his own purpose before time began, before anybody existed. God made a choice. That's what the passages sound like. When you look at the passages, that's what we see. Um, and quite honestly, when you look at the passages, it's clearly stated that God did this before time began, before we existed, before we did anything. God chose. So how whatever system you come up with, wherever you land and trying to understand this, you've got to make that concept fit somehow. All right? Dave, you're going to Right. You
1: know, in all those types of verses, he say, yeah, I
0: need one by two. No, but in other verses he does. Well, are we and, why, why he and that's why I'm saying that's why I'm saying you can't you can't pick one verse and say, That's gonna be my I don't know, my key verse. Well, can't I can't do that. I can't say, I'm gonna pick the verse that says, Whosoever will may come. I'm, that's that's gonna color my entire understanding of this entire doctrine, in isolation with the other passages.
1: Yeah
0: Right. Right, doesn't. He is really saying it. Okay, well, let's, hit, let's ask a question. Who's living your Christian life? Yeah. You sure about that? Because in Galatians 2.20 it says, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So is it me or is it Christ? Yes. Yes. All right you know who wrote Romans who wrote the book of Romans you sure the Bible says the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible I mean the the point the point here is there's a few of these things where you look at and you say gee I don't know yeah Paul 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 wrote Paul wrote from his passion He wrote from his heart. He wrote from his situation in life. He wrote from the circumstances that were going. He had no idea when he sat down and wrote a letter to Timothy that we'd be reading it. Theologically, you could probably say that. I mean if the guy were theologically astute, a lot of yeah. but see see here's the point, and this is what the this is what the script this is where you this is where our struggle is, part of our struggle here. We're trying to see things from two perspectives at the same time, and we can't do that. That's our problem. The Bible tells us, quite honestly, that there is a God perspective. The God perspective is God chose me before time began because He wanted to. Okay, fine. Okay, okay, let's forget that. But now in time as a 12-year-old, I think in my case it was 8-year-olds. When I was 8 years old, I came to Christ. Why? Because I wanted to. I wanted to. And those two things fit together. I don't know how they do. Nobody knows how they do. You're not going to ultimately answer this in all the gory scientific, mathematical. I can put an equation on the board and say, see, that proves it. I can't do that. But both of these things are taught in Scripture. You've got to deal with them because they're there. We don't like it, but they're there. I think there's also the element of the principle of God's desire for all Absolutely. to be saved. Absolutely.
2: But there's the mystery of how that principle
0: right.
1: fits with who.
0: Right. and that goes back. That goes back to the Peter, salvation. the Peter three eighteen. Yeah, Marshall. Oh, okay. I hope not that long. But <laughs> well,
1: There's two points. The first point is this. All sin came through who? Sin. Man, All sin. Through. Man through, yeah. through bad. Yeah. Now, you know the it of battle. Yes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Was Noah the son of Adam? Yes. Did Noah choose God or did God choose Noah? God chose Noah. He could have chose anyone. He chose Noah and his family. <laughs> Noah didn't choose God and that's why he and his family were saved. God decided, I'm going to choose Noah and bestow my righteousness on Noah and his family. Why? For His purpose, He chose Noah. The second point I want to say is, is that in John 11, uh, you have the death of Lazarus. Now we all know from last week's discussion that we're all born in sin and, and, and we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But interesting enough, Jesus commands Lazarus to come forth. Now we know that dead men can't respond. Well, here they don't ask the person, the person deceased to rise. Right? But here's an example of someone who was deceased, unable to respond to any stimulus at all. Because he was dead physically. And Jesus said, Come forth, and Lazarus obeyed that command. Lazarus could no way have chosen Jesus Christ. Because he was dead physically and Jesus well, is dead. Those are just two examples. So you got to work around about. Uh, who chose who, I chose well, how did Lazarus choose Jesus to rise from the dead? How did Noah choose God? Because God told Noah he looked down and saw the wickedness on the whole world, and that includes you, Noah. That includes you too, because you're from Adam. But I'm going to choose you and your family. Now, they didn't do this here. So, he had a lot of time to think about he, he wasn't deserving of
0: anything except what everybody else in the planet got that day. Yeah. Those
2: examples make subject of the topic of choosing become more overarching and broad scoping than I'm talking about mm-hmm. because of course I agree with those or any other yeah. well let's examples. so it's about salvation listen
0: we'll answer this when we start looking at some scripture passages all right I want to get there I want to get to the scripture because that's where the answer is all right also, it's interesting here when you look at the, and I'm just saying generally when you look at these New Testament passages we're going to be sorting through, it always sees God as the initiator in everything. I love God why because He first loved me. God's always seen as the initiator. So this is the challenge here: the burden of proof is on those who want to say that God chose me because He knew I would choose Him. Because there's nothing in the New Testament that would support that. And I'll show you that. I'm going to prove that, okay? I'm not going to make it up. I'm going to prove it. Let's go to the scripture. Let's go to Romans 8. Okay? Let's go to Romans 8. We're going to be in Romans 8 and 9. And hopefully we'll get out of these two passages this week. Um, I don't want to draw this thing out to the millennium, all right? So I, I do want to get through this topic. And probably when we're done, we may all not still agree on it, but at least I want to... You know, expose you to the to what's going on here. Yeah, when the trumpet goes, you know. Let's look at Romans eight and starting in verse twenty-eight. All right, Romans eight twenty-eight is probably one of the most famous verses. If you want to think about it, one of the verses that we all hang on to. Um, I'm reading from the ESV, and we know that all. Know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are, the, are called according to his purpose. Um, the actual Greek text is the called. And who's the called? Ecclesia. Ecclesia. What's Ecclesia? The elect. Mm-hmm. Now, are you going to give
1: with all this stuff
0: on it you... No, I'm going to give you these. Pa- yeah, if I can't do that. I'm gonna, we're going to take notes on this or get the tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it w- well, I, get, I have Romans eight and nine on the website on no, uh, notes. I mean, the stuff oh, the, the, the handouts will be up there, okay. yeah. Yeah. but we're going to be working through these passages. But All
2: right? Stuff that
0: you put I'll put these screens out on the website, yeah. Okay. But I won't put what I'm saying out on the website. No, I understand. OK. <laughs> Romans 8:20. So what's Paul saying there? We know that everything works out for good for the elect. All right, the elect. And then he goes on in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now again, a lot of people say, aha, foreknew. Those he foreknew. Therefore, God knew ahead of time who was going to believe god knew that because he foreknew he's omniscient he knows everything well if you look at the english word you can be led to believe that but if you look at the greek word the greek word behind this has nothing to do with the idea of knowing ahead of time it has the idea of choosing ahead of time it's a choice ahead of time this is not a choice where God just knew that Alan Schaeffer would believe the word actually means that God chose Alan Schaefer to believe. He foreknew me in the sense that he chose me. And what did he choose me? What did he choose to have happen to me? To be conformed to what? The image of Christ. He chose me, and because he chose me, he ordained that someday I'm going to be conformed to who? I'm going to be like Christ. Alright? And then notice what it says here. And those whom he predestined, that means to mark out beforehand, to determine beforehand. Those he predestined, um, he also called. That's an interesting word. It means this is where we get the effectual call. What does that mean? If I was chosen in eternity past by God to be conformed to the image of Son, of his son, in time, what did he do to me? He called me. There was a day when God, in his own sovereign purpose, reached down to an eight-year-old kid by the side of the bed and said, you're going to believe. And the light bulb went on. I understood the gospel for the first time. And I responded immediately in faith and believed. And I did that because I wanted to, but I wanted to because God granted me the want to do it. Which is saying All right?
2: that God does not uh, uh, reach out, you know, be in the Holy Spirit to everybody.
0: Salvifically to everybody. Okay. All right? You've got to go with the text here. You know, we're just working through the text, right? And we're going to get more of this in Romans 9. Okay. All right? Mm-hmm. And, and, those call, and those he called... He also justified. What does that mean? Declare righteous. God declared me righteous. God God says, Alan, as an eight-year-old child, you're righteous. Before my sovereign bar, before the eternal bar of God, you are righteous. You're as righteous as my son Jesus is. And how can I do that? Because of substitution. We're going to talk about that later, how that works. But I was declared righteous and then it says those he justified he also
1: glorified
0: glorified. where's that when's that happen In in the future I'm not glorified yet I wish I was I'm not glorified yet here's the point in this passage when you when you look at the Greek words when you look at the context when you look at what is Paul is saying he's saying in eternity past in my case in eternity past God chose me why did he do that because he wanted to and when he chose me he says I'm going to make him like my son someday he is going to be as righteous as holy as my son is and in time that's that's pre-time in time what did he do he called me there was a point in my life when I was called when now the general call goes out to everyone but not everyone is going to respond there was a time when I was called specifically by God when God said, it's your time. It's your time. And I responded immediately in faith at that point in time because I wanted to. And I wanted to because God gave me the desire, the will. I want, I was, all the events of my life brought me to that point where I wanted to be saved. I wanted him as my Savior. I wanted to know him.
2: So that's different from God reaching out to absolutely everything convicting message of the Holy Spirit they may even get convicted but they don't
0: Felix certainly was it Felix yeah Felix was certainly convicted
2: that's
0: true he said you almost persuade me and, 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 and there is that general call the Bible when we talk about salvation there's the general call then there's the effectual call the Bible talks about the effectual call that's the call when light bulb goes on the person believes
2: You're
1: saying, E-F-F-E-C-T.
0: yeah effectual E-F-F-E-C- effect t-u-a-l all right got to go through it in my mind and then and then when i was called what happened to me i was justified what does that mean i was declared righteous my sins were forgiven i went from death to life i went from not knowing god to knowing god i went from condemned to non-condemned and then those he he justified he is going to someday what Glorify. glorify nobody gets lost and this is the thing of Romans 8 28 through 30 God did not ordain your salvation he ordained your glorification salvation is one of the processes along the way I'm seated within the heavenly places in Christ before time began in God's mind I was as good as in heaven as I am in eternity future and he ordained that and along the way what did he do he chose, He predestined, He called, He justified, He's going to glorify. And it doesn't say some who were called were predestined. Some of the predestined got called. Some of the called got glorified, or justified. And some of them made it to glorification. All of us make it all through. This answers the whole argument about, by the way, eternal security, right? Nobody gets lost. God doesn't forget anybody. Nobody gets missed. And all I'm trying to do here is, and I challenge you to do this, go back and study this passage carefully. And there's no hint in this passage at least that God's choice for me in eternity past was based on him knowing something that I would do. That's not what the Greek words mean. That's not what the Greek context means. That's not what this means. We're going to do more when we get to Romans 9 here in a second.
2: But you even said, I wanted to. I wanted to.
0: Yeah, God so moved, and this is, the, this is the mystery piece here. God so moved the events of my life, my birth, my, where I was born, the parents I had, the upbringing I had, the back. God ordained all of that to bring me to that point where I wanted to believe. I really did. I wanted to. It wasn't that I didn't want to become a Christian. God said, well, you're going to be one anyways. No, I wanted that.
2: But if he chose? Yeah, I'm gonna
0: do that do and I'm gonna do it because from my perspective down here my, my box of time I'm gonna to want to but I'm gonna to want to because God drew me to himself that's that's what, you know it says in John I don't know how else you, you interpret John 6 there where it says no one can come to the, me unless the Father draws him I, I, you got you got to be able to explain that verse and you got to be able to explain the verse that says the reason you don't come to me is because it's not been granted to you by the Father you got to explain that verse and you've got to explain the verse in Acts 17 that I didn't put in here where it says, And as many as were ordained unto eternal life believed. What does that mean? And then you've got to explain the passage in Acts 8 where Simon Magnus, Magus, where Paul says him, You better pray and hope that God grants you repentance. Wait a minute, I thought he, all he had to do was repent. Well, and Peter is saying there, You better pray that God would grant you the ability to repent. Because he may not. The, the, I know your heads are swimming here and, and you know, you're know you sort of seeing double, but you've got to work through this. alright let's, let's do Romans 9 here in a second. Yeah. If you back up to 8.14, that may answer the question, who is a believer? Hmm. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back to fear but the spirit of adoption is sons by whom we cry Abba, Father. God gives us the ability. Yeah, he leads us. Now here's, now here's Romans 8. So, so muddle on that. Percolate on that. Now let's look at Romans 9. Romans 9. Every Armenian's nightmare. Alright. Um, let me give you the background of what's happening in Romans 9 10 11 okay what Paul has just done in the book of Romans is he's presented the whole doctrine of salvation by faith justification by faith how are you justified you're justified by believing all right you're not justified by your works you're not justified by the deeds of the law I mean he's, he's really pounded that home because his readers being from the Jewish background would have said look I'm saved by law I'm saved by doing this and that and the other thing and God owes me salvation and Paul works through, and we don't have time to do that, we could be here for another year going through Romans 1 through 8, where Paul lays out the argument of salvation by faith alone and Christ alone. And the fact that it is received by faith. Now, what happens then is if you are a Jew listening to that, you're saying, now, wait a minute, Paul. What about us Jews? What happened to us? Did we, did God change his mind? Did he did he come up with some new way of salvation. I mean, we've been taught from early on that we're saved by works. We're saved by the deeds of the law. What, what about God's promises to us? What about, what about his promises to Israel? What about, what about us? What, what, what is this thing about the Gentiles believing and being part of this? I mean, we're the people of God. What's going on here? Did God change his mind? Did God cast aside his people? What about Israel? So Paul answers the question. And in Romans 9, he shows very clearly, that the, the, the sovereignty side of that. The reason that Israel rejected Christ, the reason that Israel crucified their Messiah was because it was part of the elective will, sovereign will of God that they do that, that they not believe. Not all of them, but the nation did not believe. But then in Romans 10, he goes to the other side and he says, okay, why didn't Israel believe? Well, they believed because, did not believe because of the hardness of their heart. They did not believe because they did not want to believe. And he lays out the reasons in Romans 10 of why they did not believe. I have notes on all of this on my website. You can go look at it. And then in Romans 11, he answers the question, is God done with Israel? And the answer is, no, he's not. Someday God is going to again turn to Israel as a nation and going to again work through them. And as Gentiles, we might have been grafted into the olive tree, but someday God is going to graft the natural branches back in. So no, God is not done with Israel. But the thing that the Israelites are asking is, how is it that we miss the Messiah? I mean, we've been looking for this guy. He shows up, and you're telling us we just totally missed him? What is this? What's going on? So Paul answers this, and he starts out by talking about election here in Romans 9. Um, In the first few verses, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We'll be here all day. But in Romans 9, 1 through 5, he says there are certain advantages to being a Jew. They have the adoption, they have the word of God, they had all of that. And, of course, the Jewish, and this is what the Jews were taught. Understand what they were taught. They were taught, if you're a Jew, you're in. If you're a Jew, you're in. Doesn't matter what you do, you're in. You're part of God's chosen people, you're in. The rabbis taught that Abraham sits at the gates of hell and does not allow a circumcised Jew to enter. They taught that if you're a Jew, you're as good as gold. You're in heaven. And that was a great struggle. Remember in Romans, not Romans, but in John 6, 7, and 8, where the Jews are arguing with Christ, saying, well, I don't know where you're going, but we're going to heaven. And Christ said, "Where I'm going, you can't come. Oh, you're going to kill yourself and go to hell? See, it was incomprehensible to them that, in fact, Christ was going to heaven and they were going to hell. That, that did not compute to them. Because they said, we're Abraham's sons. We don't know about you, Jesus. But we're, we're the seed of Abraham, we're in. And of course Christ said, well, you know, God could raise up these rocks and make them sons of Abraham. Don't, don't boast in that. But that's what they taught. That's the mentality of the Jewish people, that they were the people of God, therefore they were in. And Paul is saying, now wait a minute. Verse 6. Yeah. After Romans. After Romans. About 16 years, 15, 16 years. Then in verse 6, he says this But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. What's he answering there? He's answering the question Wait a minute. The problem is not that the word of God has failed, because what did they think the word of God said? All Israel is in, right? If I'm a child of Abraham, I'm in. They believe that. And Paul is saying, Wait a minute. The problem is not that the word of God failed or that somehow God lied or somehow the word of God is of no effect. No, that's not the issue. Because they are not all Israel who are of Israel. What is he saying? Not everybody who's a descendant of Abraham is really of true Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. How many sons did Abraham have? He had more than that, right? Because he had Keturah after Sarah died. But who's the child of promise? Isaac. What about Ishmael? No. What's Paul saying? Just because you're a physical descendant of Abraham does not automatically make you part of the kingdom of God. Why? Because he had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac was the child of promise. Ishmael was not child of promise now when you look at Ishmael's life what kind of guy was Ishmael he was pagan to the core right no interest in God no interest in spiritual things we see that the human side there but Paul is saying you look at your own book Genesis and you've got two sons there and which one was the child of promise Isaac was not Ishmael Don't know. But he can work all things out for good, even that. I mean, he is
1: no, but... Yeah. It, like,
0: he could have stopped him. He could have. But he didn't. He allowed... That's, that, we don't have answers for that. But the thing is, and this, this is the thing, Sheila, God can take even the worst things that happen to us and make them turn out for good. Look at Joseph. I mean, just look at the life of Joseph. Here's a guy who did everything right. His brother sold him into slavery to be a slave. And the life expectancy of slaves in those days was not very long. His family, his brother, sold him into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house and he does a good job there. He's made charge of the house. Then Potiphar's wife says, come lay with me. He wouldn't do that. And since she rats him out to Potiphar, he's thrown in prison. He did the right thing, gets thrown into prison. That's a bummer, isn't it? And then he's in prison and he does the right thing there. He's made head of the prison. Two guys come in, he interprets their agreement and says, now when you're out, remember me to Pharaoh. They promptly forget. For 13 years he went through abuse. And yet, at the end, he could look back and say, you know, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. I don't know the answers to that. But God can mean it for good. And God can bring good out of even the worst things and that's, that's part of his sovereignty right that's part of his grace you know when we all get to heaven a million years from now when we're in heaven we're not going to remember all the pain of this life but God can work all things out for his glory and it says here um, this is this means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God but the children of the promise are counted as offspring what is he saying well Adam, or Abraham had two sons according to the flesh but only the child of promise is the one that received the blessing of God for this is what the promise said about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son and not only so but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man who's Rebecca Isaac's wife. Isaac's wife our forefather Isaac though they were not listen though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or evil in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works but because of him who calls she was told the older shall serve the younger as is written Jacob if I loved Esau if I hated now just look at that passage and just think about it a minute what's it saying God is saying before Jacob and Esau did anything before they were born before they did anything good or bad before they did it had nothing to do with anything they would do what did God do God had a purpose according to election and he said the elder will serve the younger why I don't know why God doesn't tell me why but I'm just reading the text is all I'm trying to do and what Paul is saying is that God had a reason for choosing Jacob now let, that, that, that's, this is eternal perspective. Now let's step into time and let's go back to Genesis and let's look at these two guys. What was Jacob like? He was a conniving little rascal, wasn't he? Right? But what was different about Jacob and Esau? What was different? What did Jacob value? That Esau didn't. The
1: birthright?
0: The birthright, the blessing. Yeah, the blessing. Yeah. The birthright, yeah. Jacob valued that. Yep. Esau didn't. Esau Esau said, What good's my birthright if I'm dead? I need something to eat. Give me a bowl of soup. He sold it for a bowl of soup. Sold it for porridge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He didn't value it. He didn't value the promise of God. He didn't value anything like that. Jacob did. Now Jacob was a conniving little rascal. But Jacob, he valued that. That meant something to him. And then later on we find that Esau was a profane man and a fornicator. We find that Esau had no interest in God. But it says here, and you just got to go with that. I mean, yeah, okay, God chose Jacob, but when you look at these two guys, which one of them had any inkling for God? It was Jacob, not Esau. And you've got to let those two seemingly contradictory thoughts just buzz around in your head, along with who wrote Romans, Paul or the Holy Spirit. Because it doesn't make sense to us. But we see in time that it was Jacob who valued God's blessing. And what's Paul saying here? Well, you, you want to tell me, Jews, that because you're descended from Abraham, or Abraham, you're in. Well, let's see, Abraham had two sons. One was the child of promise, one wasn't. Um... Oh, Isaac had two sons. One was the child of promise. One was not. Don't say just because you're of the seed of Abraham you're in. That doesn't make sense. The true child of Abraham is the one who does what, according to Romans 4? The one who believes. That's the true child of Abraham. Not the one who's physically descended. So here's verse 14. What shall we say then is there injustice on God's part? Is God unjust? Was it unfair for God to choose Jacob and not Esau? God forbid. I'm just, I'm just reading the text. God forbid. No possible way. There's no injustice with God. So you can't go down the fair route. Well, it wasn't fair that God chose Jacob and not Esau. God's, it says right here, verse 14, there's no injustice with God. That's the Holy Spirit talking through Paul. There's no injustice with God. Okay, I've got to go with that. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. When didn't he say that? Well, that's after the whole golden bull incident. Moses came down from the mountain, and they were worshiping the idol, the golden calf. And God sent a plague, and Moses questioned what God was doing, and God basically said, look, I'll have mercy on the ones I want to have mercy on. And I'll have compassion on whom I want to have compassion. I have the right to display compassion and mercy on whom I want. That's my sovereign right to do that. So then, verse 16, it depends not on human will or exertion. It doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on what I do to get God's mercy. It doesn't depend on anything I do to deserve his compassion. It's not by my will or exertion, but on God who has Mercy. mercy. What's it saying? I don't know how else to interpret it, folks, other than God is saying, I have the right to display mercy on whomever I want to. And that is not unjust. I have the right to do that. I have the right to choose Jacob over Esau. I have the right to choose Isaac over Ishmael. I have the right to do that. Because I am the creator I'm the maker of everything. I, have, I can show mercy on whom I want to and compassion on whom I want to. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, now he's going back to the Pharaoh thing, for this purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name shall be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. What is, what's that? What's What's hardened? Well, what happened with Pharaoh? Remember Pharaoh? Well, back at Pharaoh, you know, Moses shows up and says, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't know who your God is. I'm the God around here, by the way. No. And Moses says, okay, now going to blood. And then he comes back again, let my people go. No. Plague two, plague three, plague four, finally plague ten. Death of the firstborn. What's Pharaoh doing along the way? Pharaoh is hardening his heart to God. Why? Because God knows if he does nothing, what is Pharaoh going to do of his own selfish will? Refuse. And it says here God has a right to do that. Wait a minute, that's not fair. Yeah. And notice what it says here. Why did Pharaoh harden his heart? Because God says, I'm going to use you as an example of my power. By Pharaoh hardening his heart, what did God do? God destroyed the socio-economic political system of Egypt. He destroyed the entire Egyptian army. And from that point on throughout the entire Old Testament, whenever Israel wanted to talk about God's sovereign power in their birth and in their nation, what did they go back to? He delivered us from Egypt. He destroyed Pharaoh.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: because it does provide God God displays his power right. by how our lives are mm-hmm. for his purposes when, when, when you know in, in our when we go through some great trial in our life and God is shown to be great what does that tell people around us that God is great Um, it's not fun don't like it would rather do something else but you know God is displaying his greatness in our lives he said look what I did in that person's life and how it worked out he he works out all things for and that's the great comfort of God's sovereignty nothing happens look folks let me tell you something nothing is going to happen in your life that does not work out for God's greater glory nothing no catastrophe no evil nothing He's going to work it out. You're not a victim in the eternal sense of things. God will work it out for His glory. But back to the text here. Look at what it says. God says, "I've raised Pharaoh up." In other words, in that word "egero," there "egera" is an interesting word. It was used in the theater of the day to call somebody on to play a part. And God is basically saying, "I've called Pharaoh onto the stage of history to play his part, to harden his heart, so that I can display my power in delivering my people from Egypt." Did God make Pharaoh harden his heart? No. Pharaoh did it all by himself. God just allowed Pharaoh to do what Pharaoh's natural inclination was, which was to say no. But it says God hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. Because God created the the test and he knew what Pharaoh would do.
2: He created the test by means of which.
0: Yeah, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And again, there's a little bit of a mystery there. You're right. There's a little bit of a mystery, all right, how that worked out. But I'm just reading the text trying to explain Romans 9. That's all I'm trying to do. But I
2: guess
0: you're, I'm getting
1: confused because you're saying we don't make choices, yet we do make choices. Yes. Yes. You've got it.
0: You've got it. And and I just got to go with that. Now, one of the things we're going to do when we're done with the verses here... We're going to come back and we're going to do implications of this and we're going to bring the things together so that you're not totally confused. Because the question then is, well, shoot, if God's sovereign, why am I doing anything? If God is sovereign and you're going to progress in your spiritual life regardless of whether I stand up here and teach you or not, why am I here? Well, God told me to be here. I'm part of the means whereby his sovereign purpose is worked out. I don't know how that goes. I'm just going to be part of the plan.
1: Yeah. We'll understand it someday.
0: We'll understand it someday. It's not a saving doctrine as But the thing is the thing is it's in the Bible, you gotta deal with it. Right, but it's not one
2: you
0: of the things that if you make a mistake you're going to have to do it. Right. So,
1: Life was on the pastor off the page that when he turned with the same truth. That's fine to cover, but for those who are saved, but their parents may or not have been saved to them, they might feel that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sitting here with my son who is the same. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, well, he's
0: a loving God, but you sure better pick him. Mm-hmm. But you don't know that. You, hope. you don't know you that.
1: Hope. Yeah, you don't,
0: you don't know. And we're going to talk about implications. Yeah. You don't worry about that. That's not something to worry about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going on in the text. We'll never get through the verses. You know, we've got two verses here. And we've blown an hour on this. Or two passages. All right. For verse 18, what's it say in verse 18? So then he has mercy on whoever he wills. And he hardens whomever he wills. God can show mercy on who he wants to show mercy to. You will say then to me, why does he find fault? What's what's Paul asking? Well, then how can he blame Pharaoh for rejecting? I mean, good night, you know, if Pharaoh didn't have a choice, how can he blame, how can he hold Pharaoh responsible for that? If he just allowed Pharaoh to do what Pharaoh was going to do, why is it Pharaoh's fault? Pharaoh's just doing what he was inclined to do. It's really not his fault. It's God's fault because God didn't choose him. That's, that's what people are going to say. For who can resist his will? Who can resist God's will? If it's God's will that you harden, you're hardened. If it's God's will that you have mercy, you have mercy. Now notice how he answers it. Well, who are you to ask that question? I'm just reading the text. But who are you, old man, to answer back to God. You can answer back to God and say, that's not fair, who are you? Well that which is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Does the clay pot ask the molder, wait a minute, I didn't want to be a vase, I wanted to be an urn. Ridiculous. Paul is saying the pot does not challenge the potter why the pot was made a certain way. Has the powder no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? He has a right. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Oh, we don't like that one. What was, what was Pharaoh? Pharaoh was a vessel of wrath fitted for destruction. In what sense? God, in his own sovereign purpose and election, did not choose... To display his mercy on Pharaoh, he chose to display his wrath on Pharaoh. Why? Because he's the potter.
2: He chose to. Well, God um, uh, only gave Pharaoh over to what Pharaoh had
1: already chosen.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the way to understand it. It's not that God forced Pharaoh to do what Pharaoh did. God just said, I'm not going to interfere. I'm not going to call him. I'm not going to interfere in his choices. So what choice is Pharaoh going to do? He's going to do his own natural inclinations. He's going to go his own way. All right. Does God have a right to not interfere? Sure, he has a right to show mercy on who he wants to. That's what it's saying here. I don't know how else to understand this. And he's not unjust and he wanted to show his power in delivering his people so he allowed Pharaoh to do what Pharaoh was going to normally, naturally inclined to do and God put up with his obstinance. God did not strike him dead, God did not hit him with a bolt of lightning because God endured with patience the vessel of wrath, Pharaoh. God endured him because God wanted to display his purpose. He is sovereign in this in order to make the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand, even us whom he has called, oh, there's the elect thing, those of us who he's called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. It's not just the Jew. It's the Gentile. God, what would you see in Romans 9? God sovereignly chose to display mercy on whom he wanted to display mercy. He has the right to do that. There's no indication in here that God's choice was predicated on what he knew anybody would do. There's no hint in this passage of that. It's God who does that. And then he quotes some verses out of the Old Testament to show that God chose based purely on his own sovereign electing purpose. He chose. I don't know how else to explain Romans 8 and 9 other than to just read it and take it for what it says. I don't like what it says. Part of me doesn't. I'll be honest with you. But I got to interpret a scripture for what it says. That's part of our job. Let's look at 2 Timothy here. Let's try to get through some of these. These are just some of the passages. I I didn't put all of them in. 2nd Timothy 1.9 verse 9 who has saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before time began why did he elect us why did he choose us for his own sovereign purpose not on the basis of what would you say that him knowing that I, would, that I would believe if given the opportunity a work of mine? I would categorize it as such. It wasn't based on that. It was based on his own sovereign purpose and grace. Why? I don't know why. I really don't. I can't answer that question. God does not give us the answer to that. Any more than God says in Romans 9, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And compassion on whom I will have compassion. When was this done? Before time began. Who was the promise made to? Christ. Before time began. Before anything existed. Before before Genesis 1 1, when only God was there. God made a choice. God the Father made a choice. Let's look at Ephesians 1, verse 3 by the way verse 3 through 17 is the longest sentence in the Greek New Testament there's only one verb there and don't ask me what the verb is I forget but there's one verb in that whole in the Greek text of the whole set of verses there it says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places listen even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world when did he when did he choose us before time began this is the common theme folks before time began, he chose us that we should be holy and without blame before him in love God chose us to be holy this is Paul's other way of saying we're going to be glorified he chose us to be there and because we were chosen to be holy he predestined us for adoption to sons we're going to be like Jesus Romans 8:29 through30 talks about that. When did he do this before time began for adopting the sons of Jesus Christ, according to what? Why did he do this? According to the purpose of his Why? He wanted to. It was his will. It was his choice. It wasn't my choice. It was his choice. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And then it says here in verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. And if I remember correctly in the Greek text that choice, that choice there, if I remember correctly, is in the middle voice. Now, we don't we don't know much about grammar most of us that's i hated grammar going through school but the middle voice means that god chose us for himself it wasn't based on any external agency it was based on his own sovereign purpose and grace which he had according to his own purpose now when i read ephesians 1 here i'm led to the to me to the conclusion that you know why did god choose me God saying, I chose you because I had a purpose in choosing you. Okay, what was that purpose? Uh, it was my purpose in choosing you. Why? Uh, because I wanted to. I chose to have mercy on you. Why did you choose to have mercy on me? Uh, because it was my own purpose to do that. You're not going to get any better. Look, folks, I wish there was a better answer to that. There isn't. I'm just looking at the text of the New Testament. And, and, and verse after verse after verse here. Passage after passage. It all goes back to God choosing me. Why? Because he wanted to. Is that unfair? No, it's not. Now, we are going to get to the other part of this. Don't worry about that. I, I wish I could spend another three hours and get through the whole stuff. We can't do that. We're not allowed to do that because the other class will kick us out. Um, but look at First Thessalonians here, and we'll stop with this one here. And what I would challenge you to do, all right, this week... Go back and read these passages. Just read them. Sort through them. Meditate on them. Um, you got the same Bible I do. so in so, the same Holy Spirit, by the way. So just read it. Um, verse 4. For we know, brothers, beloved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you in not only a word, but also empowered in power, and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Beloved, we know that God chose you. Who's he talking to? The believers. And what's he saying? Well, we know that God chose you. Well, when did God choose them? Before time began. Why? He wanted to. So let's end end with this note here. If you ask me, you know, Alan, why is it that you're a Christian? Why is it that you believe? By the way, you you do know that I believe in a place I've never been to, right? Anybody here been to heaven and back? Do you believe in it? Do you believe it exists? Yes. Ever, anybody ever talk audibly with Jesus Christ? No. How do you know he's there? How do you know he exists? Anybody ever see God? Do you ever talk to God? I haven't. Audibly, I mean, I haven't seen an image of God, a bright light, and I've not seen any of that. Why is it that I'm a Christian? Why is it that I believe? Well, from the eternal perspective... In eternity past, God chose me because he wanted to. I don't know why. That awes me. That that makes me fall down in absolute awe and wonder and speechlessness before God. Why would he ever choose to display his mercy in me? I have no idea. And the only one in the universe that knows the answer to that is God himself. But what happened in time? What happened as an eight-year-old child kneeling by my bed i wanted jesus i've been taught about jesus in church my parents had told me about him dying for my sin on the cross i saw the love that he had for me and i was drawn to that love and i responded and i remember asking him to come into my life and be my savior and i wanted that but you know why i wanted that because he drew me to himself. And he granted me for whatever purpose known only to him the faith to believe in him and I believed. And if you asked me for 20 years after that why I became a Christian my answer would have been because I believed. And then the more I read the Bible, the more I looked at the scripture, the more I understood the New Testament, I began to undersee I loved him because he first loved me. I don't understand it. I don't. You don't. Don't look at me and say, well, you've got all the answers, Schaefer. No, I, I don't. I'm just saying I've got to make all the verses fit. And this is the only best way I can do it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get to some comforting. This is not a discomforting doctrine. This is a comforting doctrine, and we're going to talk about the comfort of this. Um, maybe not next week because we got a few more verses to go through. But I'm not going to drag this thing out forever. But it is, it is a, it is a, you know, uh, one of those things where you got to noodle on it a little bit to get through it. So hopefully, and, and really, I challenge you: do what I did, wherever you land on this. Go start reading these passages and try and and take whatever position you have and say does my position, does it match up with what this is saying here and if not, why not and sort through it so let's close in prayer we're out of time, Father thank you for this day and thank you for giving us this time to study your word and open it and admittedly Father there's some things here that we're just not going to sort out this side of eternity but where we can understand it I pray that you would grant us understanding and we thank you again for your sovereign grace and for saving us and redeeming us and calling us to yourself and giving us an understanding of who you are. You're a wonderful, wonderful savior. We just thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Oh
1: Ellen,
0: what's
1: your website?:
0: Theopenword.org.
2: That's